atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here The other thing concerning the offering, I. I have this bubbling inside of me, and I ask God, God, I've, I've taught, I've said something about the tithe several times, and, and I just heard the Spirit of God saying in a very direct way, do it again, do it again, do it again. And let me say that I understand and even sympathize with the negative feelings that have been brought up in people because of the way that godly prosperity has been abused I understand I fully understand but that changes nothing in the way God operates and I know that my response to that often has been to just God's people are faithful receive the tithes and offering and, and let it go but the truth is there are those among us who do not yet understand. And if you do understand, you're blessed. If you don't understand, you can be more blessed than you are. Now, I want to make it, I'm going to refer to a lot of scripture and I'm referring to Malachi now. He, he talks about robbing God. But understand that it's in the context of a people who are hungry for the move of God. And he says, I'm going to send my messenger, but here's the problem. You're robbing me. And of course, the religious respond, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and your offering. Now, tithe means one-tenth. I've got $10 here. There's one-tenth of this goes to God. It's His. It, it's His. It's His. If I don't do this, I've got my hand in God's pocket. And that's not a good place to have your hand. I have been in situations in my life where you look at the money we have and realize I have to pay the tithe first because there's not enough to do the tithe and everything else. But I so believe in this principle that i got to do it first. But he didn't say just the tithe. He said the tithe and the offering. Now I've got $10 here in my hand. These $2 represents about 20%. I'm not saying you have to give 20%, but I'm saying in our house we give more than that. Because, not because we want to be careful, but because we understand the principle. And this, in my mind, doesn't even belong to me. If I do anything else with it, I'm handling his money. And there's those that say, well, I pay my tithe, but I pay it to this ministry, that ministry. If you do that and it works for you, then God bless you. But he says, bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to where you get your sustenance. But then he said, this is the only place that I can find that the Bible says to try God. But God says through the prophet, he says, try me in this and see if I won't open the storehouse of heaven for you. Now, a lot of times when we get finished with the tithe, we look at what's left and we see Uncle Sam wants something. And any way you cut it, he's going to get 20% plus. Because there's taxes come at you from places you don't even know they come. And it's not just what you pay at the end of the year or what you pay in in between. It hits you every time you write a check, every time you run your debit card, and it comes out to more than 20%. And the politicians scream when that's revealed, but it is true. So now I'm here, and I can take one of two attitudes. I can say... God, I've only got six bucks. Or I can say, God, 
You've placed this in my hand. By my obeying you, I've touched the supernatural. And now I have six opportunities here to invest in that which is forever, that which is eternal, that which is life, that which is living. God, teach me how to do this because I've touched the supernatural here. Not here, but here. (laughs) I've touched the supernatural here. Now God, teach me how to use this so that the supernatural can come back and touch this and it will grow into an expansive living cycle. But the truth is, when it comes, it forevermore looks like it's yours. And the question is, what will you do with it? What will you do with it? Will you, first of all, get your hand out of God's pocket? Second of all, see what the possibilities are. And even if it's just six bucks, it's six opportunities, not just six bucks. So guys, if you would, wait on them for the morning tithes and offering and, and let them give as God has blessed them. Uh, as, as you're giving, we'll release the children down. We had sickness that's interfering with children's ministry. It does that sometimes, but... You know, I, I, have a, I have a desire inside of me. And that is to be a house where people are known to get healed. Where people are known to live debt free. Where people are known to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. Where darkness might touch them, but it's driven away by the light. Where fear might try to come but it's driven away by the light and the values of God. I have a dream, and I believe it's the dream of God. So, I'm going to do this morning, I've never done this before. So, if I act like a novice this morning in this message, I am in this message. God has challenged me. I wanted to receive the offering first. because, And the, folks, this, this is not a knee-jerk reaction to you because you're not like this. You really aren't. But it's a knee-jerk reaction to many places I've been where if I build what I'm getting ready to build and then take an offering, there are those that will go forth and say, he was just trying to get an offering. Can I tell you, if you drop $100,000 in the offering this morning, it don't change my living at all. Just understand that. So I'm never trying to build my income. I'm trying to build our influence in the earth. And at the bottom, your influence in the earth. And God has really challenged me that that to stay silent on these matters just makes it worse. Because people need to know that there is a process of giving and receiving that marked the kingdom of God. And it's tied to the move of God. Now, I want you to consider Israel for a moment. And like I said, I'm going to refer to a lot of Scripture, so I'm not even going to try to give you locations and read it all. But Israel coming out of the Promised Land, I told Chelsea that I didn't know if I'd say this. Matter of fact, I told her I didn't think I would, but now I think I'm going to. Folks, this is, please don't take this wrong. But when Israel headed out, God says... Go to your masters and take their gold and take it with you. You read it. It's what he said. So they headed out across the desert, loaded down with what it would take to develop relationships as they crossed the desert, if necessary, to hire armies. Whatever they needed was provided for with what God told them to take out with them. And what did they do with it? They built a golden calf with it and started to worship it. They've done something with the work of their hands and started to worship it rather than building. There was enough gold with them not only to get them across, across the desert and to build the necessary relationships to come into that in a large place. But they had enough to build the temple and more. 
once they got there. But they put it all in a calf and worshipped it. They put it all in, in, in a representation of the very gods that had held them captive and worshipped it. Now much of this message is going to be prophetic. That is the nature of it. And it, it's, it's going to be that way. It started happening last week as I preached. I, I started talking about this location, this building, that, that God's plan for this building, God's plan for His His people his family in Kirksville has not changed he intends that this town will have a representation of people that lives in righteousness peace and joy and that's that that word does not fall to the ground when it's not fulfilled it hangs over until a people finally walks into it and fulfills it but as Israel came out of Egypt, because of the, their misunderstanding and because of their idea that they were nothing more than grasshoppers, because of that thinking, it took miracles to get them to Canaan. But once they got there, how did God help them to progress? Hear me now. He gave them houses they did not build. He gave them gardens they did not plant. He gave them a place in the earth. And everything from that point forward was to be His blessing on the work of their hands that would cause the people around them to look at them and say, that's God's people. There's something different about those people. Now you can only see this in Scripture when you, when you begin to realize that this is God's story. This is not just itemized ideals that we take and set alone. But this is God's story. This is God's plan. This is God's will. This is what He's doing. And as we begin to understand that, we need to understand that as a people right here, by, because of the, of the Word of God, the, the movement of the Spirit, the breath of God that hangs over us, we're not just a little group of people here in Kirksville, uh, in Kirksville Missouri, that, that doesn't have any influence. We have come out into a large place. And God is saying, what are you going to do with this now? What are you going to do with this now? I've given you a manifestation of my presence. I've given you the idea that there's power there. When Jesus came up out of the Jordan after having been baptized, we always focus on that a dove landed on him. Well, it says the Holy Spirit as of a dove lands on him, first of all. You, you kind of got to sort that out in your thinking. But what really happened there? The Holy Spirit settled on him and said, okay, let's do some stuff. You've followed God up to this point and He's pleased with you. Now let's do some stuff. I'm telling you this presence that we got among us is not just to play with here, but God is saying, come on, let's do some stuff. You're coming out into a large place in me. Now you've got a choice. You can go back into that dry place where the, confined, where the work of the enemy is confined, where, where there's no life and no water. And that, that is full of fear. It's full of stealing, killing, and destroying. It, it's full of depression. It's full of all of this stuff. Yeah, you can go live there. But I'm calling you to what the Scriptures call the recesses of the north. In other words, the, the north for the people of that time was largely unsettled. And God was calling them out of that place and say, look at this. You don't know what's there. You can't even see what's there. It's so big you don't know. But that's where I dwell. And I'm bringing what I have into what you have. Now you can go into the recesses of the pit and live there if you want to. But I'm calling you from where you are into a large place in me to go forth and to do great exploits. Mm -mm -mm. What does great ex exploits look like? It might look like him planting you in McDonald's and you working until maybe someday, quite to your surprise, you become able to own it. That might be what it looks like. Or it might be you being a janitor somewhere where, where you thought this is the lowest job in the world and all of a sudden students are walking by you just wanting to talk. And the next thing you know, the power of God is expressing Himself and He's bringing you into a large place of influence where the light of God can either shine or you can go back into the recesses of the pit and say, well, it's job. 
this job and my family. I wouldn't even have this job if it wasn't for having this family responsibility. Come on, folks. God has brought us out into the world and taught us to pray, God, now where I'm planted, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my world just as it is in the heavenlies, just as it is in the recesses of the north, if he must be scriptural, just as it is in that place where you come from. God, let your will be done and God, deliver me from this pit. And you know, here's what I didn't want to preach before the offering. As you go through the book of Malachi and you begin to see the dream of God start to unfold. And he's saying... You know, I, 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 I've got my hand on the fire. You, you understand this, that it's not the devil that's putting the heat on you. I've got my hand on the fire. It's not your family that is putting demands on you. I've put demands on you because there is a, there, there, there's a, a satisfaction, a fulfillment in working that nothing else will bring you because I made you that way and you need to understand when I give you a job I'm giving you a job so that it will expand my influence in the earth and the Spirit of God is saying come on church I have confined myself to you for this period and that what is produced on the earth will be produced through my church Jesus said it he said I will build my church and no matter what hell has established to stop her it won't stop her if she will move forward now I'm gonna I don't say much about this but I want to make a couple of statements this morning first one is what you are a part of is much more important than the part you play in it let that sink in what you are a part of is much more important than the part you play in it it's been about 40 years ago now that a group of men of which I at that time had no part they began to see that the latter rain movement, the, the revival movement, the charismatic movement, the praise movement, the, all of the movements. <laughs> uh, boy, I don't want to go where my mind went there. All of the movements wasn't producing the kingdom of God. Yes, people were getting saved. Yes, God's house was being populated. But it wasn't producing what the prophet Malachi said it would produce. It, they, what it says is it'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And it'll turn the hearts of children to their fathers. And I'm telling you, if it's not producing that, it's not the fullness of God. God's heart is family. And family has a price. But <clears throat> these guys began to realize it and they began what has come to be called a relational movement and it was just a few people my goodness they made a lot of mistakes and they would tell you about those mistakes as quickly as they'll tell you about their successes then about 10 years after that the group that I we are a part of began to get hold of it and it came to Kirksville in a small way 30 years ago or more and it began to stir and it, and, and it really literally began to grow. And now I actually became, I, I had it in my heart and was looking for it. You know, that scripture says looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I had been a part of a denomination and I got no problem with it. A lot of who I am, I, re, I, I owe to that denomination. But, I, I, began, I just knew there was something more than this. Of preachers burning out and, and dying alone with no, no friendships around them and not having anyone to hold them accountable, not having anyone to, to, to draw them into family. And, and as a result, they began to put that, that wounded orphan spirit into the churches. And I, I looked at that and I knew there was more. And I began to look for it and I started little by little to find it and, and gradually became a part of this. And 
we call, and I'm not promoting a, an organization this morning. I'm just telling you what, the, what it is and how, how it started. Coast to Coast Family of Churches here, and we're a part of the, of the greater work of Salt and Light. And, and it's literally this past Thursday evening, all day Friday, about 12 hours, and then uh, six or seven hours on Saturday morning, we actually sat in a room. It started out with 40 of us. Some of us had to go home, but it wound up with about 30 guys, and we're sitting there, guys and gals, wives, whatever. And we sat there, and we began to realize we've got to put some identification and some form around this because it has started to expand in a way that we never dreamed it would. And we realized that in that room was expanded relationships that literally went around the world. You know, we've got to understand this. When, when you exist here as Christ Family Church, you represent relationships that goes deep, deep into the bowels of Mexico that's moving so quickly that we can't even keep count of the number of churches and groups that we're a part of down there because these people are catching it and moving it, catching it and moving it, catching it and moving it. And that has taken hold on the border and it's running all the way from Texas all the way up into California. And now I hear there's some activity along the Canadian border and all... Oh, Matter of fact, a guy contacted me and said, hey, when, you, when you go out to meet with Damon next time, call me because I'm from Winnipeg and I want to come. So we realized that we had to sit and put some definition on this, but here's what I want you to know is we're not just a little tiny group of people that meet here in Kirksville, Missouri, but God has brought us into a large place. And I don't even know where your relationships take you. I'm vaguely aware of why, where my relationships and Chelsea's relationships take me, but I don't know where yours take you. But it's all because we've got something that's born in us that longs to be family. And I'm telling you, when people say it's a family-like church, something in me just bubbles up and loves that. But I know that there's an economy of the family that must be met and that it can't be a spiritual welfare system all the time. At some point, we've got to rise up and begin to realize, hey, I've been brought into a large place. Not just the leadership, not just those that administrate, not just those that try to, try to keep some idea of what's happening, but me, I've been brought into a large place and God, the Spirit of God is saying, well, come on, what are we going to do about it? Well, what are you and I going to do with this? Come on, let's do some stuff. Let's lay hold on this one. And now I'm relating missional. I'm not, I'm not relating. No, I'm not going up and sticking a tract up their nose and trying to get them to say a prayer. And forgive me if that sounds cynical, but it is. I've just, I, I'm telling you, that's not the way you win people. You move alongside them in relationship and you begin to love on them. And, but at the same time, you're very aware that you're a part of something and right now, they're just looking. And if they choose to continue to look, you're going to move just as smoothly away from that relationship as you moved into it. Why? Because I've got a king. I've got a savior. And I've got a kingdom that I'm a part of. Now, I want you to look at some slides up here where we've made an effort to illustrate some of this. Uh, there's basically three foundation, kingdom foundations in the world. And I'm telling you, they're all three clamoring for you. And you know what? Two of them want your money. One of them want to, want to get your attention where your money's concerned and show you how to produce what it takes to operate in that kingdom. <clears throat> the first one is the religious kingdom. And that's... That's really hard for some people to accept. But when you look at what the writers didn't know any other way to put it other than the Antichrist. And that literally means those who are against a normal, natural man being anointed. You got the new one with you? I just saw you there. Hallelujah. Juan and Joanna building the church. <laughs> Glad he's here. But the Antichrist system, as you study it in Scripture, you'll find out it's religious. It is a system of religion where 
God is kind of central, as in they say there is a God and there's some value in that. But God doesn't indwell you and empower you. He's not personal for you. He's just God. Now that system will demand money in a very real way because they're wanting to keep buildings alive. They want to pay, they want to pay retirement programs. They want to do this. They want to do that. They want to pay salaries that, that are in comparison with, with the salaries of executives in business and so forth. So they, they do, if you're going to be on the membership, you're going to get a bill. And it's the religious system. It's the religious system. Now the next one is political and humanism kind of combined and many more things combined. But it's very much a product of the religious system. Because in the religious system, and here's one thing I want you to get out of this, is over it all is man's desire to worship something. But it's also man's desire to be like God. And that's where you have to contend for the faith. But this political humanist humanism system gets a little bit of the idea of God from the religious system. And if you'll trace that back in history, you'll find that most political things were established with religious roots. And they get an idea of good that they want to do. Now they want your money because they want you to empower them to feed all of the hungry. It's a good thing, is it not? But for you, in the way that it's done, is it a God thing? They also, they, they see the good. They, they, want, they, they think, well, it would really be good if everybody had the same income. So, you have become very successful and are pulling, pulling all of this in around you, successful in the religious political system. You've become successful. Now we're going to take from you and give to this one because that looks good. We don't consider that they're going to build a calf with it and start to worship it. But the thing that God challenges us is found in the next foundation. And that's the foundation of a kingdom. First of all, I've been reading a guy, a guy's writing, he's written a book and it's going to, it looks like he's going to develop it into a series. And I've been reading what he's writing because it's captured my attention. But he talks about, I, I read it and I think, boy, there's some good points in here. But there's something off. And then it hit me. He's saying, we are establishing a kingdom. That's what's off. No, we're not. The kingdom that we're a part of, we're invited into. Right. It's been established forever. It has been established forever. And that kingdom has been prophesied by the Almighty Himself that it will absorb and overcome the kingdoms of this world and be the kingdom of this earth system, but it's already the kingdom in God's eyes. And then as, he as the Spirit of God in inspiration closes out that Old Testament writing, he says that he'll draw the fathers hearts to their sons and the sons hearts to their fathers. This is how you'll mark it. But in between there he says, oh, I'm going to send my messenger. But if you want to open up my storehouse, here's how you do it. First, you know that the tithe belongs to God. Now people will say, well, that's tithe is of the law. No, it's not. Tithe is of Abraham. And we are Abraham's seed because of Christ. Uh, in the law, they've done all kinds of stuff with the tithe. I mean, God gave them Ten Commandments, and they created 630. And by the time Jesus was along, they had, they had uh, created 10,300 and something until the law was literally over three feet high when it was set up all in one place. 
<clears throat> and all this time, when Jesus started, and he began to he began to turn people's thinking, he began to live kingdom. Now, he was already a part of the kingdom. He began to live kingdom on earth and show us how he done it. He said, "Do you seek first the kingdom and righteousness, right relationships, and then all this stuff will be added to you." Now, I've those of you that you might recognize this name, Bill Johnson. I've been I've been listening to actually taking some classes by listening about abundance and if you want a balanced message check it out I mean he's doing a great job why do I think that because I like it (coughs) (laughs) but you think about this that you look in Proverbs and it says if you seek after wisdom that the wealth begins to come to you But if you seek after wealth, there's no wisdom in it. Now here's the problem. We begin to seek after wisdom. And we begin to experience the wealth. Now our big issue is now do I I want to set myself up a kingdom with this wealth? Or do I want to go back to the wisdom to figure out how to administrate it? Those of you that count dollars and, and that kind of thing. And that I'll tell you, I love those people uh, because they help us, help us greatly in the kingdom. But those of you that do that, I would say you would be amazed at how much this group of people does outside of here. Because we believe strongly that the stronger our light shines out there, the more effective that light's going to be at home. And out there starts right outside the door. Your mission field starts right outside that door. And for us, in our relationships, it goes a long, long ways. Now, first of all, first off, I would say it goes from here all the way down and around through western and northern U.S. and into Mexico. But I forgot somebody. I forgot Phil. Now it's going into South America. Now it's going into Africa. Now it's going into some of the South Sea Islands. And now there's plans in place for it to go even further. And who else have I forgot that's out in the world, out there? And because of the influence of the kingdom of God that flows through people, that this kind of group, and folks, this is a gathering of the redeemed. This is what Zion looks like. You say, oh, well, I know this person over there. They don't look much like. Uh, Well, you know what? They're probably thinking that about you too, but this is what it looks like. (laughs) Redeemed means that because of the blood of Jesus, you're once again considered worthy to have the deeming of authority that, that the judge of the universe deems you worthy to walk into the authority. Not because of who you are, but because of the blood and because you're focusing that direction. And he's saying, I'm going to shine in their darkness with a marvelous light. And whatever they do with that now is up to them. But if they'll do something with it, I'll walk with them. I'll express myself through them. And we will make the kingdom of God go around this earth and and affect the universe and whatever. God wants to talk to you about universal stuff. And you spend all your time talking to Him about your little pit of fear, of doubt, of unbelief, of depression, of lack of expression, of, of hurt feelings. And all this time, he's standing there on top of the pit saying, come on, there's a large place out here. Come and walk with me in this. Because into your darkness, I, can, I, got, I just get a picture of this, of the light of God going into that pit. And, and your choice then is, can you come out? As Peter said, into this marvelous light. We're brought out of darkness into this marvelous light. Can you come out? There's a little water in there now. There's a little freshness in there now. Are you going to come out? Or are you going to wait for that light to go somewhere else so you can wallow in the pit? I told you to have a prophetic edge on it before it's done. Last Sunday on purpose. I knew I was doing it. And I was doing it to me when I was doing it to you. 
will I left you. And how dare I walk before this holiness? How dare I approach this God? I gave you just a little bit of hope, and that is because of the blood of, of Christ, we can stand. But I want you to remember that the disciples had seen miracles. I mean, they, they had lived in the miraculous. They lived there. I don't know if we're going to get those scriptures up there or not, Leslie. I hope I'm launching somebody into study. That's what I hope I'm doing. Think what it would have been to walk with Jesus. Sometimes I think, man, I would have liked that. And then he reminds me, if you will, you're doing that. Then I think, but in the physical form, and I, you know, God talks to me in ways I understand, so he'll say, really? How would you have felt about me going out in front of a funeral procession, grieving mama, everybody around, and just stopping it, walking over and pulling back the cover and saying, get up and walk. We would have been like this. Oh, no. He's doing it again. What if it don't work? <laughs> and all the time he's walking over there saying, this is going to work. I talked to my father last night. My father told me he'd lead me today, that he had the day prepared before me. And I see this thing and there's something bubbling up in me. I'm going to make this thing walk. And I would have been over there. I don't know him. I thought I knew him, but I don't know him. And then the blind man kneels down in front of him, spits in the dirt. I like to think he formed a new eyeball and just popped it in. Don't know if he did or didn't. But he put mud in his eye. The man was blind. Where's your compassion? Not only mud, but spit. Now you got all of these diseases to worry about. I have a friend that works down in Mexico and he tells the story of walking into a village back in the mountains and they took him to a house and there's a man laying in a bunch of blankets, nasty, messy blankets, his body eaten up with leprosy, his face almost completely gone. And he heard the Spirit of God say, lay hands on him. Surely I didn't hear that right. He said, finally I knew it was God and I just slapped my hand right in the middle of the mess and prayed for him and got out of that village as fast as I could. So it was about three months and didn't hear anything and he thought, surely I miss God, but he came back to that village and as he entered to where he could see the village, a young man came running to meet him. Completely, completely free of any disease. His flesh, as good as any young man's flesh could get, and identified himself as, I'm that leper that you laid hands on. Folks, I'm telling you, it's your world now. The little, the few dollars I handed to Addie, that's hers to do what she wants to with. This is yours. And your choice is how will you use it because you're going to use it some way. And here's where Jesus ties it. We can go to the Matthew Scripture, or Leslie, if you would, the, uh, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate, count of no use, the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and decide he's not, just despise the actions of the other. You can't serve God and mammon. This is talking about the spirit of wealth right here. That there is a spirit, there's a foundational spirit out there that demands your money. And Jesus said this, he said, you ought to pay the tithe, and give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give it to him. Don't think that's going to keep you from prospering. Don't think that's going to keep you from moving ahead. Don't think that's going to lock you in to the day you've just lived through. Now, I want to say that other thing. 
that the season you've just walked through does not have to define the season you're entering in. The season you have just walked through does not have to define the season that you're living in. Why? Because He's shining a great light into some darkness this morning. And He's saying, will you come out into the light? Now let's go to the Luke Scripture, Leslie. Here's where it's tied together. Make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. You see how that comes together in the children of Israel when they came out? Their choices? They had the money to make friends on the way. And hey, in that world, sometimes it takes money. Some people will live a lot higher than other people because of the circles they're moving in. But if they let that living high get in their heart, they'll be serving a golden calf. But they'll always have a choice. Others will live lesser. But the, but the people around them will still see the abundance of the righteousness, peace, the joy, and the ability to meet the need. They'll see that in their lives. And I'm sure there's three or four more messages going to come out of this message, but God challenged me to pull it together in this opening message this morning. They will receive you into eternal dwell dwellings. When whatever you have fails, they will receive you there into dwellings. Keep it moving. Who... He who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. That 10% is a very little thing. Most of us pay more for a meal for the family than the 10%. And some of us say, well, I don't have money for the 10% because I want my family to live. How do you want your family to live? Next. <clears throat> Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust true riches to you? Now start thinking about it. What is true riches? True riches is having enough, yes. But true, true, for me, true riches is children that serve God. And I'm going to embarrass her a little bit. But I, but I'm telling you, Leslie's not perfect. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> but I'm so blessed because she serves God. That's true riches. That's true riches. When I see, when somebody gives me a testimony of healing, Chelsea got up, you can, you can talk about this another time, but Chelsea got up out of her chair this morning and this look came across her face. And I said, what's, what's going on? She said, I'm just so blessed that back in December down in Arkansas, some special meetings, God healed her knees. And she got up without pain and it just blesses her. True riches. True riches. And we were talking this morning about something we want to do is, is we have enough and sometimes a little left over. Matter of fact, about all the time a little left over. But part of it is because of the way we choose to live. But we're thinking maybe there's another level of abundance that God has for us, so why don't we take the compiling of that little that's left over and just give it away. Because that's how God's kingdom works. Now, don't get into that name your seed thing. Because that's not what it is. I'm not going to name it. Is it seed? Yeah. When we give it, we give it. I'll tell you what, when you give into the kingdom and you have strings attached, you haven't given it all. You're remaining in control of your wealth. And you're suppressing the move of God on that thing. Next one. If you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who's going to give you that which is your own? I hear people talking about this great thing that's going to be their ministry. As they're talking, I know they're never going to get there. Why? Because they're not being faithful in those very small things. Like pastoring your home. Like 
like giving the tithe and the offering and, and, and like, like allowing God to, to, allowing God to pastor you and, and how you, how you do life and on and on. And I look at them and I don't, sometimes I have said it. I, I have this uh, gift of, of that sometimes. But most of the time I just think, I'm really sorry. Because you're never going to get there the way you're living. You understand me? You're never going to get there the way you're living. Why? Because who's going to give you what really belongs to you if you don't take care of what he's already given you and give it back to who it belongs to? There's a lot of the things that it seems to be that they could be something that would make me live on a higher scale, but I realize that belongs to somebody else. And I sat there last night after I got home from the meetings and I was going on Facebook because Rafa had had, a, had an outreach for Children's Day, Day of the Child in Mexico. And I sat there and watched what he had posted of more than 200 kids coming in to eat that normally didn't eat and that those kids would hear the gospel and those kids would have positive input into their lives from that as long as they wanted it. And I sat there and I realized this church has had a big part in that. The roof they were under, this church paid so that that church didn't leak in the rain and the snow. We don't have a lot of money, but we bought the materials and they did the work. It's the way the kingdom works. This church provided the chairs that those 200 kids were sitting on. So don't tell me we're just this little group out here. God has asked us to do some things that tells us that we're in a large place. What are we going to do with it? Last night I sat and considered what Damon and Jackie's done and I've watched them go through the process and I know from long experience that the process they've gone through is the process that, that they're suffering and that there's in some ways they're not suffering in the finances but they're suffering in some ways where they need friends or sometimes Damon calls and he just said we just need to talk and so we talk sometimes for two hours. They just need us. But we took the best we have and put it there. Could we have used them here? You bet. Matter of fact, he could carry some of his load. I, but I wouldn't welcome him back because he's called there. But we took the best we had and put it there. You think God doesn't know that? He looks at us and says, oh my, you're in a large place. If God wants us to begin to understand that if we will release what we have to Him. That it touches the supernatural. And when the supernatural receives from the natural, it's for the purpose so the supernatural can begin to spark something supernatural in the natural and it causes a cycle. Now again, this is one of those places where I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go very deep in this, but there's a couple of people that attend this regularly that, that are believing God for a specific work of life in their own household. And you know what? That's going to be happening. Matter of fact, I would say it's already happening. That there will be testimonies that will come forth. Why? Because they, they don't have anywhere else to go. They've gone to the doctors. They've gone to all this stuff. They don't have anywhere else to go, but they're believing God. And God's going to do some things. He's already doing some things. And He's done it because He's prepared a place for us to live in. But those disciples, they saw all of this stuff. And my goodness, walking with Jesus was not the picnic that we would think it would be sometimes. Because if we're not careful, we try to identify it modern in a modern way. And we see all these services with people laying around and becoming weekend lush and not going forth to do anything with it spiritually. And on and on it goes. And uh, these guys were, they were ready, man. They had seen the miracles and they had felt, felt the depression of watching their master die. Their faith, that that they had put their faith in, literally died and went in the tomb. 
And I could only imagine what they felt when he came forth out of that tomb. And in a, in a physical way, there would be a physical, physical Jesus. They could touch him. They could feel him. They could hear him. He came forth and they were ready to do something. And what did he say? No, wait. In Jerusalem, saturate. 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 Wait. Wait, wait, wait. But God, we, we've got this. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes on you. And that's where they were left at the cross that day, despairing. Peter said, oh man, I'm going fishing. I, I get that way sometimes. And the other disciples said, we're going with you. And on the bank of the creek, there's Jesus. Ah. Man, I don't know if you feel what's happening in this house. But they went and they waited until they could all come together in some kind of unison. And Acts chapter 2 came into play and some things began to happen. And we're going to talk a lot more about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. But that's where He made a provision so that we don't stand there looking at our weakness. But He gave us a way to respond to Him. And we've kind of began to tag it in various terms. But he said, wait on the promise of the Father. And then he identified it. He said, not many days from now, you will be baptized. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And the implicit teaching there is that it's going to change you. Now, I know some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have not. But all of us needs to get a, get a grip again. We need to realize again the importance of this. I, as I was preparing for this and realizing that I, I'm not going to be able to get all the way into it today, but I, as we go into it, I realize what this means to me. And that when times are hard, and I'm telling you, you get to places you don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. You, you see people going through things and you know they don't have to go through that. But they're choosing to go through it. And, and you, you know that there's nothing that you can say at that moment because they still are trying to impress you that they have the answers. They want to be seen as spiritual. And there's nothing you can do at that point except pray and you don't even know how to pray. But then you begin to pray in the Spirit. Speaking with an unknown tongue as the Spirit of God gives utterance. And you realize that the Bible says, according to Paul, that the Spirit Himself prays. The One who is all and who knows all and who does all. He Himself prays. And that makes it good. Because I know that something beyond my ability is understood. Something beyond my ability is happening. And He's setting things in motion for a change. And I'm just sitting there basking in His presence, talking in heavenly languages. And, you know, people who resist it and have had other teaching, they, they automatically think, well, do I have to talk in tongues? No, you get to. <laughs> and there's a difference. There's a difference. And those that, that do respond, and they, they begin to get a strength from it that they never knew was possible. And let's look what it says. Acts chapter 2, first four verses, I believe. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I felt like God wanted me to just share my own journey on this with you a little bit this morning. I had been around Pentecost virtually all my life. That's what it was called. 
wasn't what it produced. <coughs> and I'd made several stabs at this through the years. I would, there would be a hunger would begin to build up in me, and I, I thought, yeah, maybe that'll help me because I, I'm not being able to live out the salvation thing very well. I, I, I got something in me that, uh, probably not saved, but they tell me I said the right prayer, so maybe I'm saved, but it's just kind of my thought processes. And if those of you that have read my book, you probably know what I'm talking about, but... <clears throat> I would come forward, you know, in those days you always had to come forward, but let me tell you something, that's only been around the last two or three hundred years. It wasn't always that way. So, <clears throat> I would come forward and people would gather around me, and those of you that know me, I'm of a very private nature, and God is helping me to break some of that, but part of it's military, part of it's just me, but I don't want people up in my space. And I'll be backing off away from you. And some of it is, I know you're no threat to me, but I want my hands clear. I, I want things, <laughs> and I want my back to the wall in case I need a brace, all that junk. But they would come and they'd get up in my space and they'd start, ah, you wanted yell in one ear and I'd feel spit <laughs> splashing up my side of my ear. And a, another one you yell on the other end. One would say, you got it, you got it. And the other one say, not yet, not yet. That kind of thing. And I got to a place, and I'm sure nobody else is this warped. <laughs> but I got to a place where I would say anything to get them off of me. And I knew I couldn't be disrespectful. My dad would kill me. So I would do whatever's necessary and I'd go away and they'd talk about all of this thing that the Holy Spirit had done for them. And whatever it was I was doing wasn't doing anything for me. And I got to where I just didn't believe it. I thought it was nonsense. But then I got genuinely saved. And there was a big question then in my mind that I realized I can take this to God. Now this is one of those turn of events that you think really doesn't happen, but it happens. Diana, my wife, Leslie's mom, before we were married, had worked for Oral Roberts University. And because she worked there in packaging and shipping, they gave her several products. One of them was a Bible in which Oral Roberts gave a complete study of how he came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Methodist minister. Well, God had already sabotaged my whole thinking system because that's the only Bible I, that was in the house for me when I got saved. I started going in the bedroom and reading. And I looked at it and realized the whole theological stance. And I, I finally got to a place where I said, God, I see this. And it's, it really is you. I don't have a clue what to do. And I've said something to this effect. I can't tell you the exact words, but I said something to the effect of, if you want to fill me, you're going to have to do it here because I'm not going to go to that altar again. <laughs> because I had just recently got out of the military by then and I was even more of who I was before and <laughs> God was wanting me to be less of who I was before. Uh, Submission wasn't in my vocabulary, and all of a sudden I seen this Jesus, this man that I could bow my knee to, and then I realized if I was going to bow my knee to him, I had to bow my knee to his plan. And almost before I got the words out of my mouth, I laid the Bible aside, and I was laying across the bed looking out the window, and the Holy Spirit just began to come over me. And just as easy as that, I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. And it has changed my life. If people were going to convince me it isn't real, they should have tried, they should have started that a long time ago because by now I know it is. And I just smile and let them go. But when I'm in some of the very worst places of my life, and believe me, we've been in some of them, I find myself slipping into that. But then... I do it all day, every day. 
Why? Because I've found that there's something so important in that that it builds me up and it helps me. And we'll do some more teaching and preaching about that as we come along. But I, you know, did you know Paul was either from Oklahoma or Texas? Did you guys know that? And he, he said, I speak in tongues more than y'all. So I don't know if he was on which side of the Red River he was on, but he's on one or the other. But he said, when he was correcting the Corinthians, he said, now I speak in tongues more than y'all. Folks, if you'll ever let this happen, it's something he wants to do. And if you'll ever let it happen, it'll be so real to you. And I challenge you, I know that just the very nature of the countryside here produces some very independent people. And I know that some people don't like to come forward, and I'm not going to ask people to come forward, but I challenge you in your time with God. I don't, well, be careful with doing it while you're driving. I started to say I don't care if you're driving or what, but be careful with this while you're driving. <coughs> you might see him quicker than you think. But when you get alone with God, just begin to ask him, God, would you just baptize me? Now, understand the nature of baptism. You and I could go out here and run up and down the bank of the river all day long. And I could probably never catch you and pull you down and baptize you. Baptism is a submission. It's where you present yourself to be put under the water in a physical baptism. But you're presenting yourself. And my goodness, I can see all kinds of theories popping out of this. But this thing begins to possess your speaking in a way that nothing else will. And it begins not just to adjust that you speak in an unknown tongue, but it begins to adjust the way you talk to your wife. It begins to adjust the way that you talk to your, all of your relatives and adjust the way you talk about all your relatives. And because the Spirit of God indwells you and you find out that you've been doing it in a, in a way that's not of Him, it crushes you because you so much want to please Him. And you, just, you didn't realize your tongue was getting in, in your way that way. You didn't realize that that part of it was still out of the water and flopping. But God wants to submerge you in the Holy Spirit. And as you leave this service this morning, I want you to just take this with you. I ask God over and over again, worship team, you can figure out if you want to come back with something here. Yes, no? Okay, come on. Let's do it. I need help in closing sometimes because I've delivered something this morning that is it's heavy. It's powerful. It'll change you. And I need my team now because... When I get here, I don't know what to do with it. Because it's messing me up so bad. But I remember many times that just began to pray in other tongues and then began to, over the course of the next few days hear testimonies out of the situation that I was struggling with. And usually it's not my own personal struggle that I'm praying over. It's your struggle. And I don't know how to pray about that because I don't know what God's doing in your life personally. I don't know where he's taking you. I don't know how far he's gotten you. And if you think a pastor is supposed to know that, let me defend myself. At the root of my being, I'm not a pastor. At the root of my being, I'm apostolic. And I just don't know these things. But I, I'm trying. I, I'm working with this Holy Spirit who is pastoral. And I try, but I don't know how to do this stuff. And I begin to pray over it. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a call or I'm getting a text or I'm getting a message and somebody will say something out of the blue that, that just blesses me. But then I'll get those other messages and, and it doesn't bless me so much as it makes me smile and think, yeah, the Holy Spirit's got his thumb on you, don't he? And just keep on moving, keep on moving, keep on moving because it's in him we live. In him we breathe. In Him we have our being. And if you want your real being, it'll be in Him. And this scripture that we read, that same wind that was blowing in the Garden of Eden, and you can verify this linguistically if you wish. I have, and I love it, and I'm not going to try to verify it here. But that 
breath that God blew on that pile of dirt was just a breathing out. But in Acts chapter 2, that same breath, that same breath is now blowing, 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 taking over what the enemy has destroyed, taking over the guilt of the past and saying your future does not have to look like your past. Why? Because the wind of my breath is going to be blowing in your life. And in that wind, there's deliverance, healing, salvation, not just for me, but me and my household. Man, what I worship, I don't worship just for my salvation. I worship for the salvation of my household. And that extends to as far as my love goes. You see that offering part of the giving? The tithe expresses what belongs to God. The offering expresses my love for Him and what He's doing. And that's why I dig as deep as I can. And we get a little extra... People say you should put it in retirement. Yeah, I probably should, but I'm probably going to give it away. Why? Because his kingdom means more to me. And I'm not, I'm not pushing that as a principle. I'm just saying kind of who I am. But it's because of him. It's because of him. Man, he, he saved you. And now he's offering to empower you. Overflow in this place